Can We Heal the Environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. What's the first thing you think of when I say mushrooms? First thing I think of when you say mushrooms is magic mushrooms, like psilocybin. Don't think about psychedelics. Amoxicillin. Medicine. Pokemon. Toadstool. Fantasy. Mario. I feel like, wow, I'm realizing mushroom is a, are such a thing in video games. Cooking, I'm a vegetarian, so I replace a lot of meat with mushrooms. I really love oyster mushrooms. Or like shiitake mushrooms, portobello. Chanterelles. Morels. Ew, I do not eat mushrooms. I don't like the slimy, earthy texture of them. Like growing up as a kid, disgusting. I don't know how people eat it. Some of them you can eat, and then some of them can kill you. <laughs> okay, then what's the first thing you think of when I say fungus? Among Us. My biology teacher always said, there's a fungus among us. The fact that it can be pleasant and unpleasant. It can be a delicious food that we eat, or it can kill you. It can be sort of beautiful to look at or completely horrific to look at. There's mold that makes things taste good, and there's you know mold that makes us sick. Mushrooms. Spores. So like kind of like The Last of Us. Just dangerous spores flying around. You haven't seen the world so you don't know. If you haven't seen The Last of Us, it's a show where the entire human population gets infected by a contagious fungus that controls their minds and turns everyone into zombies. Ever kill one? Yeah. This story is loosely based off of a real fungus in nature, the cordyceps, but the show took lots of creative liberties. Humans don't really have to worry about this type of mind control, but there is some truth to how mysterious and secretly manipulative fungus can actually be. The truth about fungus is that it's everywhere, and it already controls our world. From the Sowers Institute for Medical Research and KCUR Studios in Kansas City, this is Seeking a Scientist, a podcast where science fiction meets reality. I'm Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, a.k.a. Kate the Chemist, and in this episode, we're seeking a scientist to help us explore the secret world of fungi. Look! Look at them! They're everywhere! The stuff that it tastes that makes you hungry for more. Don't eat that! There is something alive in there. Tasty! There's something alive in yogurt. It's called benign bacteria. In a lot of ways, fungus and mushrooms are still a misunderstood part of our world. They can get a bad rap. Yet, we are just scratching the surface of their potential. There is so much more to discover. Oh, they have wars underground and in woods. There's trade, there's competition, there's a lot going on. This has been something that has been missed for decades. Whether you like it or not, life on our planet has everything to do with fungus. Fungal fact is way more impressive than fungal fiction. How could our relationship with fungus and life in our universe change if we knew more about it? 
scientists estimate that there are between 2.2 and 3.8 million species of fungi worldwide, and yet we only know about 10% of them. So let's start with the basics. Fungus is its own kingdom and the largest one at that. Fungi are not considered to be plants or animals, so it's definitely wrong to call a mushroom a vegetable. And a mushroom is just one type of fungus. Other members of the fungi kingdom include yeasts, molds, lichens, and conchs. And fungus is why we have beer, wine, bread, and cheese. It also saves lives. For me, as a scientist, the classic origin story of penicillin comes to mind. Dr. Alexander Fleming returned from vacation to realize that the mold growing on his petri dish was preventing his bacteria from growing. At first, he was bummed, but he later learned that the fungus penicillium was naturally producing the antibiotic penicillin. It became known as the best accident in medical history, a fungal discovery that changed humanity and life on Earth as we know it. And did you know that fungus can survive in space, too? Since the early 2000s, scientists on the International Space Station have battled a black mold called the Aspergillus niger that absolutely thrives in dark environments. To find out just how resilient this mold really was, researchers mimicked the harsh conditions of outer space and fired a lot of radiation at the mold, 200 times more than would kill a human being. And get this, the mold was completely unharmed. Back here on Earth, we see the same thing. When scientists expose environments to large doses of radiation, the first thing that grows back is fungus, long before plants or animals return. They come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet. Matthew? How is it so indestructible? And where does fungus come from? I called up a friend to get to the bottom of this. Hi, Kate. Thanks for checking in. I'd be happy to offer a cosmic perspective on fungus. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist and host of the podcast, Star Talk. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. He's pretty much the most famous scientist I know. Neil believes that humans came from space, so I wanted to know if he thought fungus did too. Before I tell you what Neil said, let me give you some background information. The tree of life has three big branches. One for bacteria, species with no nucleus. One for archaea, those are single-cell organisms. And one for eukarya, so species that contain a nucleus. Now, plants, fungi, humans, and animals are all eukaryotes. But if you look closely at the very end of the eukaryotic tree line... It reveals that the common ancestor between all animals and all fungus split later than its common ancestor split from green plants. Which means humans and mushrooms are more genetically alike than either humans or mushrooms are to green plants. I'm going to post a couple pictures of this on our social channels because it's really neat to see how we all fit into the big tree of life and how fungus and humans are connected. And I joke, you know, we've all bitten into a portobello mushroom before. And what's a common adjective we give? It tastes meaty. Something no one has ever accused kale 
of tasting. <laughs> so maybe in some distant ancestral way, we're biting into ourselves. But the important feature here is that if fungus came from space, then our genetic relationship to it would require that we too came from space, which we kind of already knew because all of us, all life on Earth, is stardust. When Neil says stardust, he's referring to the atoms and molecules that make up our planets. During the Big Bang, the explosion scattered this matter across the galaxy, forming Earth and other planets. Then 450 million years ago, fungi helped plants transition out of our oceans and find life on land. And then animals followed shortly thereafter. The relationship with fungi, plants, and animals is quite complex. And there's one person in particular who is working really hard to understand the fungal kingdom, aka mycology. Hello, I'm Juliana Furci. I'm a field mycologist and I am the executive director of the Fungi Foundation. Okay, so then let's settle this like for once and for all. How do you say the plural of fungus? <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh. Okay, so it depends where you are in the world, but you can say it in either of these ways. Fungi, fungi, fungi. And all are acceptable. They're all acceptable. They're all correct. And you'll hear me switch. So I'll say fungi, 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 because that, and, and I do that on purpose so that people feel okay with saying whichever. It's good to know. So I'm, I don't have to be insecure through the rest of the interview about saying it right. Juliana has been all over the world. Her father's from Italy, her mother's from Chile, but she grew up in London. My mother was a refugee in London. After spending one year as a political prisoner during the 1973 coup in Chile, Juliana's mother moved to the UK, fell in love, and gave birth to the future scientist. Fourteen years later, Juliana and her mother moved back to Chile, and together they explored Patagonia for her first time. It was here in Chile in my late teens that I discovered my fascination with nature and then with fungi. And I was scrambling through everything I could find to see, you know, how I could learn more about mycology. And there was nothing in Chile. She started reading anything and everything she could find related to mushrooms and fungus. And eventually, she connected with a Harvard professor who took her under his wing and gave her the hands-on training she needed. Fast forward to 2023, and now Juliana has published two Chilean field guides. What she's doing for the growing field of mycology is kind of like what Jane Goodall, the renowned anthropologist, did for our understanding of chimpanzees. Both spend their lives out in the wilderness advocating for more awareness and the conservation of our natural world. The chimps gradually came to realize that I was not dangerous after all. And after about 15 months, I was allowed to approach a small group without attempting to hide. I think it was one of the proudest and most exciting moments of my life. About 10 years ago, Jane Goodall told Juliana not to stop and to keep doing this important research. She's just a great supporter. She's, you know, the connection I have with her goes beyond work. It's also about being a female scientist in the field and then just having her. She's like the godmother of us all. So really, Juliana is the perfect person to explain everything there is to know about fungi. 
Can we say that without fungi, there'd be no plants or animals on Earth? It's extremely safe to say, it's a fact, that without fungi, plants can't live outside of water. Without fungi, animals can't digest the cell wall of a plant. And there are so many other ways that fungi are essential to life as we know it on Earth. They are organisms that form symbiosis with animals, plants, bacteria, and others to forge the planet as we know it. And they are also organisms that are responsible for the recycling of organic nutrients in the cycle of life that we know. Juliana's day-to-day work is very hands-on. She sticks her hands in the soil, smells it, and sometimes she tastes it. Taste doesn't mean eating. We take a small bite, we'll munch on it, we'll swirl it around our mouths, and we'll spit it out. I repeat, we spit everything out. We don't swallow. Do not traipse into the wilderness and randomly start eating every mushroom you find. Juliana is an expert and has been trained on how to identify and taste fungi properly. I mean, she's done fieldwork in dozens of countries, trekking through the cold and windy landscape of Patagonia. You know, a lot of people think that it's, you know, it's just a lovely stroll, you know, through a warm, beautiful landscape. But it's actually hostile and hardcore. As much as it is beautiful and wondrous and exciting, and sometimes it's so windy that you can't open your eyes while you walk. But the payoff is worth it. Juliana looks so happy whenever she's on camera digging for mushrooms, conks, and molds. I watched your documentary, Let Things Rot. Yeah, I don't talk about rock and roll. I talk about rotten mold. (laughs) Yeah, and you have a beautiful quote in there. And so you say, with every leaf falling, it teaches you that with the end of one life form comes the beginning of another. And then you go on to talk about how the most noble part of a tree's life is after it hits the ground, after losing all its leaves. But when the tree falls is when the glory begins. It's when the tree is brought back to the soil. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know, we're all very used to talking about cycles. But at the same time, we're taught that cycles have a beginning. Now, if you look at a circle and you ask anybody, where's the beginning of a circle? Nobody will be able to answer that. And if you look at a cycle and you ask, where's the beginning? There's no reason anybody should be able to answer that. And so in the cycle of life, I like to stand where decomposition begins and not necessarily where composition of life begins. You stand there and you look at the moment that life ends, what you start to see is decomposition as the beginning of the process of life. Through observing our teachers, the fungi, we can learn to be better people, to accept cycles, the end of cycles, the beginning of others, to let things rot. We have to let things rot. And the fungi teach you that that's the the best way to lead a life. And what we've traditionally been taught as death or decomposition as an end becomes totally irrelevant, really, because you understand that without the end of a life form, you can't start the life of many others. 
And I think that it's a good moment in time to talk about these things when children everywhere have understood the value, for example, of compost. What you're actually doing is starting soil, you're making soil from the end of a, you know, or a fruit or a plant or, you know, or whatever. But without decomposition of bodies, you can't recompose bodies on earth. And without decomposition of ideas, you can't really recompose your ideas either or ideals. I think decomposition is totally undervalued and essential and actually the beginning of a life cycle if you stand there. As I mentioned earlier, scientists estimate that there are a few million fungi out there waiting to be discovered. And Juliana is particularly good at doing this. One time in Ecuador, she was on a trip with all these dignitaries. It was a serious trip and I was looking for a few mushrooms and suddenly I just got this feeling that one of them was there and there these little brown mushrooms that nobody would really stop for. And I was like, I can feel it to feel it and suddenly it appears and it was just like this jumping for joy and and then you know suddenly I look and even the judges were jumping with joy and it's this contagious energy for a little brown mushroom which turns out to be a new species that we named um after Paul Stamets. Oh my gosh so you get to name them? Yeah some you find them um and you describe them you do the work you have the chance to name them. They decided to name the new species after Paul Stamets because he's one of the pioneers of mycology. His TED Talk on six ways mushrooms can save the world has nearly 8 million views. He believes fungus could help create renewable fuel someday. I think engaging mycelium can help save the world. Thank you very much. And beyond uncovering the Paul Stamets mushroom, Juliana has also discovered... Amanita Galactica. There's Psilocybe stametsi or stametsii, Cortinarius chlorosplendidus, and there's one in the works, which I can't say at the moment because it's still not officially published. <laughs> Congratulations. That's really exciting. Where were these, the ones that you were able to name? Where did you find those? Cortinarius chlorosplendidus is one of those funny finds that you have when you go and pee in the forest. <laughs> It's a pea find, and there are many of those in mycology. Um, so yeah, I found that one both in Argentina and in Chile. But the first sighting was like, I'm just going to go behind a tree, I'll be right back. And then you come out with a bright green mushroom that turns out to be new to science. <laughs> Finding a new species, however it happens, is a big deal and extremely difficult to do. You can't just go walking around looking for mold. You have to hunt for what it eats. Sometimes, you know, I'll be looking for a fungus that grows on maybe a certain insect and I'll have to go and look to where the insect lives. I have to look for the host. When we collect a mushroom, it's the equivalent of taking an apple from a tree. We're not cutting off the branch. We're not cutting down the tree. We're just taking the apple. We're taking the, the macroscopic structure whose only purpose is the production and dispersal of spores, just like a fruit during these expeditions, Juliana has a really unique opportunity to observe the entangled web of the ecosystem that she loves. In a lot of cases, the fruit or mushroom Juliana finds is connected to what's called a bigger mycelium network that exists underneath and within the soil. 
The mycelium is the root-like structure that can produce mushrooms under the perfect conditions. The largest known mycelium, the Armillaria astoia, covers 2,384 acres in the Blue Mountains in Oregon. That's more than 1,600 football fields of fungus. And this type of growth does not happen overnight. Scientists estimate that the organism could be anywhere from 2,000 to 9,000 years old. Now, fungal networks like this are very common and are one of the reasons why they've earned the nickname the Wood Wide Web. In fact, as we walk through the forest, there's about 300 miles of mycelium under every step that we take. Not all fungi form mycelium, but all mycelium is fungal. And what we're stepping on in those miles, if unraveled, is mycelium. And mycelium is a network that some fungi form to move through their food. So are they talking to each other when they're forming these things? How do we think that's going down? It's all chemical, isn't it? You know, it's um, the languages of most living beings is not just in one language. The chemical language, the language of chemistry is the strongest, I would say, in all living beings, and especially in fungi. You know, people tend to think that it's only sounds in humans. They don't even think about smell and other things, you know, aroma. <laughs> so is it always one type of fungus that is growing this area, or is it possible that there's overlapping ones? I mean, do they compete with each other? How does that part work? Oh, they have wars underground and in woods. There's trade. There's competition. There's a lot going on. It's not always, quote unquote, amicable. Now, endorsing all of these terms to a non-human fungus um, it is a bit weird, and let, let's say that. But it's, this is a way just for us to understand. But there is interaction, and that interaction is not always beneficial for both species of fungi. But sometimes there is coexistence. And, you know, one teaspoon, you'll find different species of fungi that are you know, living together. The interconnectivity of all of this is why Juliana has been fighting hard to get the three Fs, flora, plants, fauna, animals, and fungus protected and acknowledged. Thanks to Juliana's amazing conservation work, Chile was the first government to add fungus to environmental law. So now, Anytime anyone wants to start a new project, they first must survey the area and try to avoid destroying fungus. Juliana's work has revolutionized other ways environmentalists approach nature conservation, too. And led to many scientific discoveries. I think I seen a mushroom man. Like how fungus sometimes works together in potentially terrifying ways. Seeking a Scientist is made possible with support from the Stowers Institute for Medical Research, where scientists work to accelerate our understanding of human health and disease. More information about the Stowers Institute is online at stowersinstitute.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. On a recent trip to Kansas City, Missouri, I stopped by the Stowers Institute for Medical Research to check on some of my favorite nerds. And I bumped into Randall Hoffman. 
He's a biophysicist that works on aging research, but he's also a huge fungi fanatic, loves to forage for mushrooms, and he asked if I wanted to see a cool fungus video. Of course I said yes. It's probably the best understood organism in biology, and it's been studied for, you know, 80-plus years uh, intensively. The star of the video? Yeast, a certified member of the fungus kingdom. Usually when Randall grows yeast cells on a plate, they grow into these, like, boring little colonies in the shape of hemispheres. Kind of like half an orange. But in the video he showed me, the yeast kind of looked like Bambi on ice. Cells were slipping and sliding, and honestly, it blew my mind. Randall calls it the mutant. Our mutant, as it's starting to grow, little bits of the colony break off and move, literally move across the plate into all these beautiful swirly patterns and those little bits, we're calling them scouts, they grow, they move out, and then they break into other little bits. And this pattern just keeps on growing. And as long as there's nutrients in the auger, it will continue and continue. And so we have discovered here uh, (laughs) bona fide motility. Randall's group discovered that this mutant yeast can move with apparent intent. Not only that, but these yeast cells are doing it cooperatively. And we were just blown away, as as you were, um, to see this. And this has been something that has been missed for decades. The reason this is so peculiar is because yeast is a unicellular fungus, which means it's usually a loner. But in this instance, the mutant yeast has found a way to communicate and cooperate with its neighbors, and they appear to be displaying multicellular behavior. A result like this leads to more questions than answers. You know, one of the big mysteries in science to me is how does cooperativity, how do cells decide to cooperate, you know, quote unquote, decide to cooperate with themselves? especially in contexts where it's not advantageous to the individual cell or the individual organism. How can a group come together and act for the greater good? And that's exactly what we have here. You can interpret these kinds of things as exciting or scary. It's easy to fear the fungal unknown. In 2022, the World Health Organization released a list of the 19 worst fungal pathogens. The Candida auris was one of them. From 2013 to 2016, we only detected a few infections each year from the fungus. But then something happened, and the infections started to skyrocket. In 2022 alone, there were more than 2,300 cases confirmed caused by the fungus. According to the CDC, some strains are resistant to three classes of antifungal medicines. And those of us paying attention are very worried about this. People who have had organ transplants, TB, cancer, or HIV are at the greatest risk for these scary fungal infections. And it didn't help that this World Health Organization list was published right around the same time as HBO's The Last of Us came out. People started to wonder if the cordyceps fungus could really take over our minds and wipe out humanity. I mean, I I don't want to cause any alarm, but there are unambiguous reasons why we should be scared of fungi, and that's independently of The Last of Us, right? So I don't think that we're going to have cordyceps or a cordyceps-like fungus necessarily infecting us and turning us into zombies, but there are a lot of—we've clearly shown that 
Fungi are extremely adaptable, and they can be extremely hard to get rid of when they're in the wrong place. Science backs up what Randall is saying. The way fungus mutates so quickly is terrifying. But Juliana Forci feels differently. When the WHO fungus list came out, she quickly published an op-ed in Time magazine with the title, No, You Shouldn't Be Afraid of Fungi. This happens a lot in the process of understanding mycology at large, is that there's not only one type of fungus, and there's not only one way of being a fungus. And this is, you know, we tend to, and even in this question, we're mixing so many types of fungi, but we would never ask that of animals or plants. You can hear how she's almost offended at the way people are grouping fungi together when they're all so different. We wouldn't say, so the WHO, you know, dropped a list of 19 animals and it was the same time that animals were in a show and are animals. We wouldn't do that. And we shouldn't do that with fungi. So, should we be scared of fungi? I think the answer is maybe. Some fungi should give us caution. But we can't put a blanket statement or perception of fear on a whole fungal kingdom, especially when we know some mushrooms and fungi are medicine. It's curious that people are, you know, probably sitting with a lovely cordyceps tea that they spent a lot of money on, you know, for their health, watching this program, freaking out about what cordyceps can do to you. But they never make this, you know, association between the you know, medicinal tea that they're drinking and, you know, the fiction that they're seeing. But what I always love to say is that fungal fact is way more impressive than fungal fiction. I'm actually drinking that tea right now. I'm not a huge fan of the taste, <laughs> but the cordyceps mushrooms, as featured in The Last of Us, are full of vitamins and amino acids. So at the very least, I know the tea is healthy for me. I will not be drinking it again. But it's not because I'm afraid of the fungus taking over my brain. That's purely fiction for the time being. But it does make me wonder, are there other ways fungi are communicating with us? I'm not set like completely on this, you know, mystical connection. But after decades of work, I can't deny that a mystical connection exists. Um, it's happened many times with the years I've dared to say it and it's, you know, to share it. But I do sometimes get a feeling that I need to go, you know, over that hill or behind that log or take the trail, you know, to the left and not to the right. Or sometimes, you know, and then there'll be a really big fungal encounter, maybe one I've been waiting for for, for years or maybe one I've only ever dreamt of. There's something really powerful about that. But I mean, if we research the different mushrooms, the spirituality piece kind of shows up a lot. There's a historical connection with that, I think, right? Humanity has always looked at the macrocosmos from the microcosmos, and we've always looked at the celestial from the terrestrial. And if you look at different ceremonial settings, fungi are almost always involved. And I'm talking like from ancient, you know, use of what we call magic mushrooms to current, you know, Roman Catholic mass. Don't forget, bread and wine come from fungus. And magic mushrooms are admittedly the first thing that came to mind for a lot of people when I asked about mushrooms. They get their magic 
from psilocybin, a molecule that is produced by hundreds of different fungi. There's no doubt that psilocybin and psilocybin-containing mushrooms are medicinal mushrooms to treat different disorders that can be emotional, psychological, or spiritual in many cases. And they have been used for millennia in different indigenous cultures. So there's no doubt at all about that. All the flowers would have very extra special powers. They would sit and talk to me for hours. These are mushrooms. It's a psychedelic drug. Makes you see weird things and feel happy for a few hours. Well, here we go. Oh, dude, I think I can feel it too. I'm getting the context high. Brian. Brian. To be clear here, magic mushrooms are illegal in much of the United States. But in the past few years, Oregon and Colorado have decriminalized it and made it legal under supervised use. It just goes to show how many different ways mushrooms and fungi touch our world and lives. Medicinally, artistically, culturally, environmentally, culinarily. That's why protecting fungus is so critical. Both coffee and chocolate are made from fermented beans or seeds. And fermentation occurs thanks to fungi, to yeast, and to bacteria. We've got to be fair to bacteria. So without fungi, without the fermentation of these beans, there would be no chocolate, no coffee, there'd be no soya sauce. You know, there'd be no many of the things that we take for granted and that we never even acknowledge um, includes fungi in our life. The outcome of humanity is shaped thanks to food preservation through fermentation and to the treatment of uh, human pathogens through antibiotics. We owe our lives to fungi. Wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, every article I've read on this has given a unique little nickname to fungi. So I've got to share these with you. Excellent chemists. Garbage disposal. Agents of the natural world. Jekyll and Hyde. I love that one. Metabolic wizards. Grim little Christmas ornaments. Vehicles of decay. Soil magicians. And little friends. Do you have a favorite phrase or do you have one you like to use? Coolest organisms in the world. I love it. I love it. They can do everything. Master biochemists. Ooh, that's a good one. Just like the big mamas and papas of biochemistry. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Seeking a Scientist. If you liked it, please write a review or share it with a friend. It'll help us celebrate these badass scientists and get them that standing ovation they so deserve. Seeking a Scientist is a production of KCUR Studios in Kansas City, made possible with support from the Sowers Institute for Medical Research and design help from PRX. It's hosted by me, Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, a.k.a. Kate the Chemist. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Kate the Chemist or on Twitter at k the Chemist. And I should say, we're thinking about the future of this show and I need to know, do you want more? What's been your favorite episode? Leave your comments in a review and email me, kate at seekingascientist.org. Tell me who you are. Why are you listening? 
I want to hear it all. Okay. This episode was produced by me, Suzanne Hogan, and Byron Love. Mackenzie Martin is our editor. Gabe Rosenberg is our digital editor. And special thanks to the staff at KCUR, Jean-Bievre Desmarteau, and the Sowers Institute. You heard clips this episode from Super Mario Brothers, The Last of Us, They Live, The Stuff, The Twilight Zone, Movie Man, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Star Talk, Miss Goodall and the Wild Chimpanzees, Let Things Rot, Six Ways Mushrooms Can Save the World, Stranger Things, Family Guy, and Alice in Wonderland. Our original theme music is by The Coma Calling, and you heard music from Blue Dot Sessions, Les Claypool, Tchaikovsky, The Beatles, and Notorious B.I.G. Next time, is there any real science to the multiverse theory? Way more than millions, way, way more than millions of you running around. Until then, if you want to see pictures of the Tree of Life or a video of Randall's yeast dancing on a plate, check out our Instagram at Seeking a Scientist or Twitter at Seeking a Sci Pod. All right, so just a fun question because I'm like this with chemistry stuff. Do you collect fungi decor? Let's say it this way. I used to purchase anything that had a mushroom on it. It just got too much. My son, who is more of a zoologist, just says, please stop, please. (laughs) Seeking a Scientist is made possible with support from the Stowers Institute for Medical Research, where scientists work to accelerate our understanding of human health and disease. More information about the Stowers Institute is online at stowersinstitute.org.